Thank you. Amen. Greetings, everybody. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord, as Brother Gavin has said. And um, truthfully, there's no other place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. Amen. Can we just ask the Lord to bless and anoint me tonight as I bring a word? Lord Heavenly Father, you are great and greatly to be praised, God. And what privileged people we are, God, to be found in your house, Lord, to come together, Lord, and worship you and praise you, Lord, and hear messages of encouragement, beloved God, for us, Lord. We thank you, God, for your presence and your love and mercy, God. I'm asking you, Lord, for anointing upon me, Lord, to bring a message tonight, Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray that you'll anoint me in every way, Lord, and enable me, God, to bring this message, I pray, and I thank you for the privilege And I thank you for the honor in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. This message is called worship. And um, I have quite a lot of scripture. So uh, we we can open up in Isaiah chapter 1. I mean, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, please. When God called Isaiah to be a prophet, God gave him a vision. And this vision we find in Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then there's another dramatic and awesome vision which I want to speak about. And it's given to John, the disciple of Jesus, recorded in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you could turn there as well, please. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come thither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold, 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thundering and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. The, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. A wonderful demonstration of worship is reflected in these passages. When John continues to see a series of visions and to receive revelations from God for future events, and these revelations are recorded throughout the ensuing chapters of the book of Revelation. But here in particular, I want to refer to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 22. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book. Worship him. These awesome descriptives and glorious visions were from God to John, but as stated in Revelation An angel was given to reveal the visions to John. The effect of seeing the matchless glory, majesty, power, authority, purity, holiness, and beauty of God humbled both Isaiah and John. Isaiah saw himself in his humanity when he said that he was undone and a man of unclean lips. And immediately after this vision, he was ready to follow the calling of God as a prophet to God's people. Likewise, in the visions given to John, the four and twenty elders in the presence of God fall down before the throne and worship God. Then at the conclusion of the visions given to John, he too felt humbled and fell down to worship. However, he mistakenly worshipped the angel, but the angel corrected him, pointing him to worship God. Of course, John knew that he was to worship God. He had even recorded the words that Jesus had spoken to the Samaritan woman at the well in regard to worship, saying, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. Also in reference, in reference to the time when Peter took the gospel to the first Gentile converts in the household of Cornelius. As Peter was coming in, they fell at his feet to worship him. But Peter forbade this and said, Stand up, I myself also 
am a man. Amen. Um, I, I don't know when I when I my very first pastor, Sister Nix, uh, when I came into the church and everything like that. I, I, I don't know if I had worship for her. I don't know, but I had so much awe for her. I couldn't believe that she was a human being. Amen. It was the power and the authority and the anointing of God in her life that. Um, that I responded to and I reacted to. She followed Jesus so closely and she was a good teacher and a good leader and, and she was everything that we would want to be. Amen. That you want your life to, to, to get to a stage like that, but it's only by the hand of God and the anointing of God. And I didn't, I didn't worship her, but I looked up to her so much and she, she, she quickly said it, it wasn't in any manner or form, but she quickly put it, my mind at ease that she was a human being just like everybody else. I mean, with faults, uh, with faults and discrepancies, but that her role in life was to live for God and to serve Him. And her, her role in life as a minister and a leader was a demonstration to us. When I went into the house of God, I knew what to do. Not because I was told when you come into the house of God, you do this and you do that and you do the other thing. It's because of the leadership, the demonstration of the leadership. And I can, I can speak about um, modesty a little bit here. Uh, when I was when I was sitting, the very first few weeks I was in church, I was sitting listening to the the, the message, and I felt so uncomfortable. And all I could do was just pull my sleeves. I was just doing this all the time. I was pulling my sleeves. Amen. And I realized that it was God giving me a conviction about modesty and the way I was dressing. But the demonstration came from the top. The example that we follow comes from the top. We are so grateful and blessed to have solid leadership that tell it the way it is and demonstrate it the way it is. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And we're not um, um, tempted to look anywhere else but to the Lord God to worship. But going back to the responses of Isaiah and John to their visions, our response is the same. Whenever we find ourselves in the presence of the Almighty God, we recognize our hopeless humanity and our ongoing need for Him and we are humbled. We experience a longing and a deep desire to please God. We are ready to go when he calls us. And we bow down before him as we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Where we, we may even cry, holy, holy, holy. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We are absolutely undone without God. Without his love, without his grace, without his mercy, forgiveness, salvation, redemption, deliverance. This goes on and on and on and on. We are undone without him. Individually, we do not have to have these wonderful uh, visions to, to worship him, but we can come into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts, make a joyful noise with, unto him with psalms, for the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. As we worship, we see his majesty. An excerpt from the Pentecostal Life magazine says that our finite spirits can have an encounter with the infinite most high. His perfect love 
collides with our imperfect nature and the impact causes us to express true worship to our loving creator. As an illustration, when we worship God, it seems almost like an L shape. I did an L shape here. As an illustration, um, when we come into his presence, we come into the presence of God down here. Amen. We come into his presence to worship him and to praise him. And then we, we lift up our praise and our worship to God, and it goes up to God, and it goes up to God. And as we're praising and worshiping him and, and, and just submitting ourselves to him with abandon as we worship, we see his majesty, we see his greatness, we see his wonderful salvation, we see everything that he is that we can accommodate to see at the time. And the beautiful presence of the Lord just comes down and touches us. And it comes down to us where we are, meets with us where we are, how we are. And we feel ready to go when he says, go and tell, go and do. We feel ready to go. Amen. That's how we worship the Lord. And, and there's no restriction on how hard we can worship the Lord. There's no, you can't worship too much or you can worship too little, but you cannot worship too much. And we don't have any restrictions. When we've been in the presence of the Lord, like Isaiah was, when you saw that he was ready to go with and do the calling of God as a prophet to God's people. The heart of worship is surrender. And at the same time, we should worship with all of our hearts. The Amplified Version of Romans 12 and 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, or intelligent act of worship. When we see God for who he really is, as Isaiah did, we start to see ourselves for who we really are. We see things in our hearts and in our lives which we do not like, and these things begin to bother us and we want to change and be more like him. We desire to be a vessel pleasing unto him and to allow God to shape us. But notice this. After Isaiah saw his state of uncleanness and confessed iniquity, he wonderfully experienced the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of God, and his iniquity was taken away and his sin sin purged. This was exactly what God does for us too when we come to him. When we recognize that we are undone and we repent, God cleanses us and forgives us. So to just reiterate, firstly, worship brings an upward look. And when we look up, we have our own vision of God, his majesty and his glory. Our worship will focus and refocus our views of God. This focus on God draws our affections of any foreign objects or any foreign things in our lives that shouldn't be there. And it strengthens our affections in God. And then once again, We are caused to remember and experience how good, big, kind, great, powerful. You can go on and on. What a wonderful, wonderful God that he is. And then, and worship, it brings an inward look and a focus on ourselves. The Bible says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And David, who is a prolific writer and uninhibited participator of worship, wrote, Let everything 
that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 105 verse 6. If you have breath, there's no excuse. Amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the wonderful song that we sing is that it's his breath in our lungs. Amen. We can praise him and praise him. The whole Psalm of 106 is extravagant in praise unto the Lord, saying, Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And then David introduces music and then dancing into this time of praise. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Don't be afraid to clash the cymbals loud. Amen. On the loud cymbals. Hallelujah. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. When God breathed into man, he became a living soul. And as such will live on into eternity. So perhaps because of this, man has a need and a desire to worship. And it is definitely a fact and proved by history that man will always worship. Even though his worship may be displaced and he has no recognition of what or who he is worshiping. We need to be very, very careful in our choice of who we worship. The Bible speaks of some choices regarding worship, either God or mammon. But no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or he will love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. There can't be two. We cannot serve two masters. The natural, national int, international version says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon means wealth and or riches. And serving mammon persuades, persuades us to place our trust in money and wealth more than our trust in God. Wealth and riches cannot buy healing, deliverance, grace, salvation, or any of the blessings that come from God. I, I have read somewhere that trust is the currency of the kingdom of God. So lay up for yourselves, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and wrath does corrupt, but where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust, rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Amen. If we trust God, he always answers that. He never fails us. And the Bible says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Man is a rational being capable of thinking and making decisions and choices. <coughs> when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan tried to get Jesus to worship him, but Jesus told him, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Thinking of us as eternal beings, our worship of God will keep us here in this world living for him and will help us to get to heaven when we will be with God eternally. There is worship in heaven. Just think how blessed we are, how God had sometimes spoken to our lives and we responded and we began to live for him and serve him. Amen. 
God has provided anointed leaders and a sanctified place where we can regularly gather to worship him. Just as David stated, we use music and singing in our services. And to this end, we have worship leaders, backup singers, musicians, and a time set aside for devotion and worship. We come together in unity and with our mutual desire, intending and longing to worship God unhindered. Our worship consists of prayers, praise, thanksgiving, gratitude, reverence, and adoration. We are all like-minded in this place. And when we come to worship God, it's, it's a natural thing for us to do. We all participate corporately. We all participate in worshiping God. And we can get free and we can have liberty. And we're as much as we want to put into worshiping God, we can put, into, we can put all of ourselves into worshiping Him. Uh, could I have a musician, please? Amen. Music and singing is very important in worship. Not just because our musicians are dedicated, anointed, and talented. But as I read somewhere, music and singing helps us engage emotionally because music is a language of emotion in all cultures and throughout all the ages and is capable of affecting us in profound ways. Consider the calming effect music had on Saul as David played his harp when Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. The way of our emotions are affected depends on what music is being played. Singing a slow, deep song does not instigate a triumphant march around the church. When singing, we engage with the words we are singing, and by repetition, we have time to think about the words and their meanings more carefully. Consider the repetition of Psalm 136. It says, For his mercy endureth forever. This phrase is repeated 26 times in that uh, psalm. Repetition of words. In the repetition of words, our emotions are amplified. And more deeply, we realize the mercy of our great God and our dependence on him grows deeper and deeper. God inhabits the praises of his people, and it doesn't take long for us to experience his presence in our midst. Let us say together, let us say together, Daniel, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Stay at my pace, please. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear.